Man, good to have a seat, church. Uh, welcome to New Vintage. If you're joining us online, we welcome you especially. We're grateful that uh, you're joining us, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians today. Uh, as you get turning over there in your Bibles and Bible apps, let me go ahead and uh, uh, give you a nudge. Christmas Eve is on its way, ladies and gentlemen, and that's a big deal, not just because of the presents, kids, but because uh, we get to celebrate together. We, we have a candlelight service uh, every Christmas Eve, and so we wanted to put a bug in your ear to be sure to invite your friends, okay? Uh, start thinking now about people who could use some hope, bring your family if they're in town, uh, even if you don't like them. It could change their life, and they could be a much better person when it's over. So uh, go ahead and, and bring them with you. It's going to be an awesome night. So right here in the Ritz Theater, um, we will be here at 3.30 and 5. It's on a Saturday this year, uh, so we have a little bit more flexibility than we, we have in the past. So we're going to pack this place out. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to have uh, some joy in the house as we celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. Okay, new series starting today. Uh, we gave away what it's about with the title, Choose Joy. We're going to talk about joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. It's mentioned that way uh, in the Bible. But we're going to do it uh, kind of in a, what's called turning the jewel. We're going to just kind of orbit around the subject of joy and what it is and how we acquire it and what it's about. And uh, we're doing so because at this particular time of year, I used to notice, I've mentioned this to you before, we, there would be a heaviness uh, that would set into people at this time of year particularly. It gets dark early. People have to be around their families, and that drudges up certain things. And, um, and then you, you bring the chaos around us uh, into the mix, and that can make you feel kind of gloomy, to put it mildly. And despairing is another word that could be used. You may notice if your emotions were some sort of line graph that if, if, if here's normal, that a lot of the time your lows are getting a little lower, your average day you're, you're riding a little lower than maybe you used to, and when you get a spike, you're still not really getting up over the line because you're so far down a lot of the time. I think that's been the experience of a lot of people now for the last several years. And there are some who've really discovered the, the miracle and the beauty of joy in a fresh way through the last few years. But I want us to take a look at a concept which is that God tells us we seem to be able to make a conscious decision to be joyful. And that it's not really supposed to be occasional. It's really supposed to be a state of being. It's supposed to be something that we experience because of life in Christ and the gift of God through Jesus Christ. So in the book of Philippians, uh, we kind of are invited to take our place among this uh, kind of chorus of Christians that uh, have been able to sing in the prison cell. Paul is writing to this uh, this church from the prison cell, and he's trying to encourage them to be joyful. And he says something very strange. He'll say, rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, well, I've never seen anybody really practice that, although a guy this week came close. I went and had lunch down at Rock and Jen's here uh, earlier this week, and it was one of those where it's like, we just got off a big road trip. We needed to get our car serviced. So I decided, all right, I'm going to go drop it off at Jiffy Lube. I'm going to walk over there to Rock and Jim's, have a sandwich. It was early. It was like 11, 11.15, like right after they opened. And that crowd is generally people who get on the job really early, and they're getting hungry now. So there's like construction workers and, and people with all the families and all that stuff. They're not there yet. Um, it's kind of like people who opened up wherever they work, the Jiffy Lube guys, uh, the small business people around there. And so it tends to be a fairly introverted crew because the reason they take that job is because they can be by themselves. So they like being by themselves with their thoughts. The general posture is you get your, your sandwich and you kind of hunch over your table. You got a ball cap on. You don't want to look at anybody. You want to talk to anybody. You don't want any joy. 
You just want to eat. That's all. That's what you're there for. So I'm sitting in there. I walk in. I get my, uh, I got my phone out, and I'm scrolling the news feeds and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, I hear a guy whistling. They're playing Christmas music. And he's not whistling like a few bars. This guy's just going on and on and on. And he's very loud. Uh, so and it is, you know, I don't mind anybody whistling a few bars of a tune here and there or whatever. But, I mean, this dude was just going on song after song. It was three, four songs. And my food's here, and I'm trying to, you know, enjoy this. But this dude is just being loud. All the other people are glaring at this guy. Like, I look around, all the construction worker types, the Jiffy Lube guys, all that, they're all just kind of glaring at this dude uh, like, like they're about to beat him to death with his own sandwich if he doesn't quiet down. Well, he doesn't have his sandwich yet. So he's sitting there right about that time. They call the guy's name, and they bring him his food. And so everybody kind of, you can sense the room relax because he can't whistle with a sandwich in his mouth. So this is great news for all the people. And so he puts his sandwich in his mouth and starts to eat and hum. He changes to humming at that point. And he keeps going through this, you know, chestnuts roasting by an open fire was the one that really, really was awesome. Uh, and he goes through, he's, he's one of those guys too, but he's happy. It's annoying. Who wants to be reminded that I don't want to feel the way you're feeling? That's what bothered us. Now, it bothered us a little bit because it's kind of an annoying habit. It's like, uh, you know, somebody who, who clips their toenails on an airplane or something like that, right? But that, that, it wasn't gross or mean, and he didn't seem to notice that he was bothering anybody. But what made him stand out from the rest of us was we were there to be quiet, get some food in our system so we could go back. I can go back over to Jiffy Lube and pick up my car and get pillaged for 120 bucks or something uh, to get my oil changed, which used to cost me 60 bucks last year. Knock it off, man. Why are you so happy? Why can't you be miserable like the rest of us? I just drove 1,200 miles across the country with my family in one khaki-colored straight line with nothing around. And I'm alive. And I still have children that survived the trip. <laughs> and I have a marriage that's good and happy. I have a ministry that I love. I have a, a home. I've got a job. I've got the ability to pay my bills most of the time. You know, you go... What's my problem? What is my problem? Well, that's one guy. That's one extreme. Here's another extreme. You may recognize this gal. Her name is Debbie Downer. Now, Debbie Downer was a sketch on Saturday Night Live, if you're not familiar with it, that lasted for 17 years. Uh, and it became popular because the character plays the person at the party or the social gathering that always brings everybody down. So you could be at Disney World. I remember the first sketch that they did. It was, uh, I remember, it, it, this is 2003. Lindsay Lohan's hosting. Jimmy Fallon uh, is in there. Amy Poehler, some of these other people that are gathering around the table. And they're at Disney World. And they start talking about how they want, they're looking forward to eating the food or whatever. And Jimmy Fallon goes, yeah, I'll take steak and eggs or whatever. And Debbie Downer jumps in and says, well, that's fine if you're not worried about mad cow disease destroying your brain slowly. And then it goes, right? And she breaks laughing on the very first round. And through the whole sketch, they're just laughing. Because all she's doing is just whatever happy note they sing, she sings the bass line, if you know what I'm saying. She brings them down. Okay, and it's funny because we all know somebody like that. 
or are somebody like that. I mean, it's, it's common in church, man. No offense, but, you know, I meet some of y'all in the lobby. You know, and church is over. Well, you know, frankly, I don't think the preacher should ever wear jeans. It's like, did you even notice what happened? Like, did you, did you see God move in the room? Did you see people praising God or whatever? You know, like, come on, man. Like, we can do better than this. Now, do we all need to be the whistler? Do we need to be the canary guy? Do, do, we, do we need to be Debbie Downer? I'm not sure either one of them are joy. Because on the one hand, over here, we can use cosmetics emotionally to make people think we're happy when we're really not. And we can mistake it joy for happiness. I'll put that in air quotes. Uh, I'm in a good mood. That's not necessarily what joy is. It's deeper than that. On the other hand, Debbie Downer is the person who kind of, uh, I think, testifies uh, on the one, I'm speaking of Christians here, will testify with her mouth that we all should have joy and Jesus brings joy and yada, yada, yada. But then the things that come out of our mouths, our body countenance, our perspective on the world comes across so negative that it comes across to a watching world like we don't believe what we're selling. That we're like pinto salesmen or saleswomen. We, we're selling you a product we know is bad. It doesn't work. Or at least it hadn't worked for me, but I'm, I believe it can work for you. That's how we come across to people. And I think that's such a tragedy. Because if we ever want to bear witness the way that we're supposed to in the world we're in, this is one that will make you stand out. In Philippians, Paul will talk to two ladies, Euodia and Seneca, and he'll talk about, you'll get along in the Lord. And then he tells the church, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And he goes on to say, if you do that, you will shine like stars. Well, that makes you think, okay, that's distinct. Contrarian. Here's darkness, we're going to be light. Everybody's grumbling, we're not. And in the world we're living in, let me suggest to you, the world is not particularly oozing with joy out of every pore. Not at this point in time. So is there an opportunity for us to um, experience joy and also uh, be obedient and growing in the faith in such a way that we witness through our lives that Jesus is, in fact, alive and good news and has changed our lives, changed our heart, and that we have reason to be joyful as a result. We live in a world with a lot more people who struggle to be joyful, which is, is deeper and more lasting than happy. It's a fruit of God's Spirit, something that comes with being a Christian, and it's a choice. It's a state of being, but it's also a choice. Here's where Paul begins. Well, he's talked about it before, but he's going to elaborate here in Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You get the root word there, right? Joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. He seems to think we can control what we think about. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it doesn't seem to be about circumstances. After all, Paul is writing from the Gray Bar Hotel. He is locked up. He is not in a great spot. He is not at the top of his game. He is not rich. He is none of those things. He's in a Roman prison. Not a great spot. And he was in there all the time. In and out of prison his entire ministry. And so it doesn't seem to be about circumstances. It's, it's about that little phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. And in fact, everything that Paul asks us to do from not being anxious to letting our reasonableness be evident to thinking about what is good and noble to practicing good things that Paul's demonstrated in front of them, it's rooted in that phrase, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, why aren't we anxious about anything? Because if we pray instead, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts. It's like standing like a soldier here, guarding them. Guarding what? The peace. The peace that God gives you when you trade anxiety for peace. The one circumstance in life, it would seem from this passage, that genuinely brings joy or not is whether or not we are in the Lord. And Paul says then, the Lord is at hand. He's right here. So we're not anxious about anything. We offer what we offer in prayer with thanksgiving, our request to God and his peace stands watch over our hearts. Now that phrase, with thanksgiving, it's an interesting little phrase that gets passed over when people memorize this verse. But it's the key. Thanksgiving is rendering gratitude to God, a vital, vital spiritual discipline for life in the 21st century. Gratitude. Something that can be cultivated for the purposes of life with God and because of life with God. And Paul gives us this hint on how to do so back in verse 8. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He seems to think that we have control over what we think about. He's the one who told us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ in 2 Corinthians 10.5. You can take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. You can submit them to the lordship of Jesus. I mean, you hear the song we opened with this morning? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will. I'm making a decision. That comes from the Psalms, of course. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God made the day. That's reason enough. So I will. I will be joyful. Um, give our youth pastor, Scotty, who was up here on the stage a second ago, some props. We, we were going to have lunch the other day. We were walking down uh, uh, to Age Brothers to have some lunch. And I just asked him and said, how are you doing? And he goes, you know what, man, I'm doing great. He goes, uh, I only have one more month until... Emily gets home. That's his fiance. I commended him on the spot because I noticed it because I know the way I would have thought about that. I can't believe I have another month until she gets home. See the difference? He's like, I only have one month. And I'm like, I can't believe I have a month. I just stopped him. I go, I go man, I go, that's exactly the way to think about it. 
I can't believe I have to drive 1,200 miles across the country with my kids. I get some family time. I mean, where people can't get to us. We're in a car. Nobody can grab one of us and pull, pull at us or whatever. And we're good at causing trouble when there's no, no place to have fun. We will make our own fun. We will terrorize whatever community we come into <laughs> for the purposes of fun. So think about the opportunities that we've got to bond as a family as opposed to I have to. I can't believe I got to get up. I got to go to the first service and teach the kids today. And blah, blah, blah. Oh. No, you get to. I get the opportunity to shape the lives of young kids who are precious in the sight of God. Get to. Have to. There's something about joy that seems to change the have-tos to the get-tos. And Paul seems to kind of be that way. He, to live is Christ, to die is gain, he says. You know, hey, either way, I'm winning. If I'm still alive, then I'm serving the Lord. And if I die, then I'm right there with him. I'm even closer. Win-win. It's good to be Paul. I mean, would he not be viewed as psychotic in the world we're living in? Like, who thinks that way? Oh, I know. It's not realistic. That's not the real world, Paul. Why is bitterness and sadness the real world and joy not of the real world? Because the way God describes it, no, joy is actually the reality. That's the way we're supposed to live in the world. And Paul says, listen, think about the right things. I went to the gym. Pulled up, so I went to the gym on Monday. And I got up there, and I look. I'm on the pre-core, and they got all the TV screens up there. All of them are muted. Man, the cryons up there were just staggering. Uh, you know, the disaster and the death being scrolled across the screens. Like five TVs, four news stations, and the view. I was really glad that one was muted. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you have that one, and then you have four news stations, every one of them, throwing out what's wrong with the world, everything's bad, disaster is just around the corner. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy. Think about these things. God seems to think in a world like that, we have the remote control. We can make a decision about how we're going to think, about the kinds of things we're going to be focused on. I didn't, do it. I didn't have a very good week this week at this particular discipline, but I think that's sometimes the way that God sets you up to preach sermons like this. Is you're reading the text and you're kind of like, okay, I'm feeling miserably at this. I should change. You know, and then you kind, of, you kind of watch for these things as they happen. But even if you have a bad week at it, the beauty of it is that you can change almost instantly by the power of God's Spirit. Joy is listed there among the fruits of the Spirit. It's number two. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So there's something about the proximity of God that allows us to be peaceful, that allows us to rejoice, that allows the Holy Spirit to do His work in us, His, His sanctifying work in us to make us more joyful people. 
And so Paul seems to think that it's really supposed to be constant. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we have all the time. It's not occasional. It's not circumstantial. Hey, I got a big Christmas bonus, so I'm joyful. But the rest of the time, I'm not. So if I don't get a Christmas bonus, then I spend most of the season thinking about how I got ripped off by my boss. See what I mean? Paul goes to a different place with it. He says that God has given him contentment, no matter the circumstance. He had been through it all, but he was content, even in prison, because Jesus was Lord of all of him. Here's what he says. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it to you. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the context where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What thing is he talking about? Contentment. And it's all wrapped up in this ball of joy, what it means to be joyful. I'm not resentful because I'm content. I don't think about what I'm owed all the time. I don't think about how I got ripped off all the time. I don't think about what you did wrong all the time or what I did wrong all the time or whatever. There's a, there's a contentment with wherever I am. He says, if I'm rich, great. If I'm poor, great. If I'm in prison, great. If I'm not, sweet. I mean, doesn't it feel contrarian? That's the word we're using for this. It's a person who rejects popular opinion. That's what a contrarian is. You know, and Paul seems to be that. Because I would look at Paul if he were alive today and talking that way, and he'd be the whistler to me. I might look at him and go, well, Paul, sure. Well, it must be nice to be you, Mr. Apostle. That's fine for you. For the rest of us, we got real problems. I mean, I think there's a reason that Paul dumps out all of his problems all the time and basically says, yeah, none of that matters. There's a point in which he says, yeah, you know what? I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten half to death. Uh, I've, been, I've been whipped. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, taken advantage of, left for dead, done all these. <laughs> he keeps rolling it all out. And then at the end of the day, the big climax is, and, and, so I'm not supposed to be joyful because I've gone through those things. Do we remember that we follow the crucified Savior? Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross? How could he have joy set before him? Because in the obedience to God, the closeness and the proximity that he experiences with the Father... He's walking in obedience. That's where joy is found. It's totally contrarian. That joy isn't found based on whether or not you win the Powerball. It's not based on what kind of car you drive. It's not based on uh, whether or not your boss is a jerk or not. It's not based on any of that. It's based on the Lord being at hand. Paul says he's learned the secret of being content no matter what the circumstances. He says it's life in Christ. I've learned the secret. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's at hand. He's right here. C.S. Lewis used this analogy when he was talking about joy. He says, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, hand out to everyone. They are a great foundation of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. And if you are not, you will remain dry. He's saying, get close to the fire. We have two floors in our house. One's like a basement kind of level. The main floor, there's a big fireplace with glass doors on each side of the fireplace. Kind of see through it. Man, that thing, when you, if you're burning wood in there, that thing gets hot. The bottom floor right now, the furnace is out. It's cold down there. Thankfully, I sleep on the top floor. My children sleep on the bottom floor. <laughs> so they're under piles of blankets till the furnace dude gets out. But, but man, I will go down, let the dog out, or work on something down in uh, Anna's room is now our office. We work out of her room. It's down there. It's like put on the hoodie, get all that down there. And then I walk up, and it, you can feel it almost, I mean, halfway up the staircase. It's like whoosh. You can just feel this warmth, this blast furnace of awesome. Smells like wood. I mean, <laughs> bottle that stuff, campfire kind of smell, so good. It would be like me making a decision. I know there's a fire up there, and I know it's warm up there. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay down here on the bottom floor, uh, you know, take off most of my clothing, and be cold and complain about how cold it is. That's what Lewis is saying. He says, if you want to be joyful, you need to get close to the source of joy. And I will tell you from personal experience, I haven't walked with the Lord my entire life, okay? The closer I am to God, the more joyful I am. And when I'm not walking with the Lord as intimately as I, as I am capable of, then I tend to get a little more, eh. I get more Debbie Downer than the Whistler. Christmas is about God coming near to us. And that's why we of all people should be joyful at this time of year because we celebrate that the Lord is at hand. We call to mind the source of joy that is ours in Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, joy enters the chat. Here's what it says. This is to the shepherds. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, don't be afraid. It's the most common command in the Bible. He seems to think you have a choice in that too. Don't be afraid. Just don't be. I don't know how all that works all the time. 
but that's what's there, so I try to embrace it. If you're afraid of heights, I don't know if I throw you off the top of a building with a parachute on, you're capable of not being afraid, but there's something in there that makes us go, okay, spiritually speaking, what God is saying is, there's an angel standing in front of you, don't be afraid of them. He's saying, he's reassuring them. And he's saying, I have good news for you. Good news, euangelion in Greek, where we get the word evangelism from, gospel, or in Christmas speech, glad tidings. We think of gospel as a serious word in the first century. It was a happy word. It was a joyful word. It was something that just meant good news. I got good news for you. And then he says, this good news, that will cause great joy. Great joy. In Greek, the word's mega, mega joy, mega joy. Um, one preacher put it this way when he was describing that, what it means. He says, imagine that somebody knocks at your door and they op- you open the door and they go, hey, I just found the cure for cancer. It's over. We finally got it. And your mom's got cancer. Mega joy. Mega joy. He says that's what's happening when Jesus is born. This source of mega joy has come. And it's joyful because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He's born in Bethlehem just as the prophet said. And that doesn't mean that we don't, sisters and brothers, grieve over the pain and suffering of life or work against the evils that are in the world. We do. It just means that we don't feel constant sorrow over the state of the world, uh, you know, in a a way that leads people to believe in ourselves, to believe that there is no good in the world. It means we don't take suffering and injustice as the full measure of reality. I think of Paul's line in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He talks about Christians as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I love that. And so we make a decision at this time of year to say, no, you know what? I'm going to choose joy today. Our relationship to joy isn't just passive. It's not something that's going to happen to you by accident, generally. It's a deliberate decision we make to to joy in God, if you will, to rejoice. Henry Nouwen once wrote, he said, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Richard Foster once said, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will, and that is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. It's a perspective that changes the way that we see the world around us and the the ups and the downs. Um, One of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, has an illustration, uh, and he's talking about joy. And he says, uh, imagine you're a billionaire. And in your wallet, you've got three $10 bills. You take a cab somewhere, you get an Uber, you give the guy 10 bucks, get out. You go to pay for coffee with another 10 and you realize you've only got one 10. You're missing a 10 somewhere. So you look around and what would you do? 
if you're a billionaire, you probably don't worry about it very much. You just kind of, hmm, and you keep going. <laughs> I guess I lost a 10 somewhere. Um, his point is that when people get overly obsessed with little slights, things that are said that are mean, little injustices here and there, it's like being a billionaire who's griping about $10. That often the problem is we don't understand how spiritually rich we are, how much God has given to us, how blessed we are to have a Savior that has come and not just redeemed us from our sins, but I mean a true king, a living king that guides us and empowers us and gives us a reason to rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, it changes when, you, when, a, when, a, when a Christian is walking in victory like that then they don't see a person who comes to them upset or broken or whatever. They don't, they don't just see them as somebody, okay, well, this is just another symptom of how jacked up the world around me is and everything like that. Well, look, the world is jacked up. There's no question about it. But what Paul's trying to say is that doesn't mean that you have to be jacked up with it. You can make a decision. I will be glad. I will be joyful. And that will put you in a better position to be able to serve those who are coming to us wounded. We have the freedom to be empathetic because we can say, you know what, I understand what that's like, or I had that happen to me once, but here's how God rescued me from that. Instead of just walking around putting all the sour in the gummy bears, if you know what I mean. I'm just going to keep adding to the woes of the world. At Christmas time... It's a good time to be mindful of everyone who's miserable. It is true. There are people who are miserable. And I think we reach, we reach out to them, we care for them, we minister to them, we serve them. But we don't need to act as those who have no hope. It's one of those lines that Paul kind of throws away when he's talking about death. At one point he says, you know, we grieve but not as those who have no hope. See, joy gives you the freedom to grieve in a way that doesn't uh, drag you into utter despair. Joy gives you the, I get to, instead of the, I have to. It gives you the, yes, that's not the end of the story. You start looking at bad situations, thinking more like, I cannot wait to see how God is going to change this. As opposed to, well, it looks like God's either taking his hands off the world or he's not listening right now. Joy. Joy. Will you choose it? I choose it. I'm going to do better this week. When I get up next week, stand right here on this stage, I'm going to share with you my own journey. And when you guys go out in the lobby, share with each other. Say, hey, let me tell you, and here's your challenge. Give people one thing that God did for you this week, one blessing that he gave you, uh, one victory spiritually that you had. And if you didn't have any, here's what you can be thankful for. You know what? Last week, I was kind of a spiritual wreck. But you know what? This morning, why I'm thankful is that God doesn't leave me there, that he can pick me up out of the dust, 
dust me off and get me back into, in, into walking the path of joy. And you know why? Because the Lord is at hand. Amen. The Lord's at hand, sisters and brothers. This morning we celebrate that as we gather around the Lord's table. Uh, we're going to take communion at this time. You should have gotten the elements on your way in. If you uh, would like some and you didn't get any, just throw a hand in the air and we'll get them to you. This morning as we gather around the table, we do this every week here at New Venice Church. When we take communion, we do it in memory of the one, the Savior that has come to us, bringing great news. The one who for the joy set before him endured the cross and the bread and the cup represent the body and blood of Jesus. So as we take this now, let's do so with great joy for the sacrifice of Christ and how he offered himself on our behalf. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the joy that you offer us is unlike any other. It's long-lasting. It's abundant. It's overflowing. And we recognize that it's only found in you. And so, Lord, we pray that in the world that we're living in that seems really dark right now in different pockets of it, that you would give us a spirit of joy that witnesses to the good news that you are at hand, that in Jesus you came nearer to us, Father, and that you will be with us always to the end of the age. So, Father, we're for that now. We give you thanks and we choose joy this morning in the name of Jesus.